Good morning, good morning, Rabotai. Welcome and bre- uh, welcome to the uh, to breakfast and the class. Uh, for sponsorship of the classes, you're more than welcome to uh, send an email to myself uh, or to uh, the synagogue info at ejsny.org to sponsor in memory or whatever it is that you'd like. And we will uh, mention the names in the beginning of the shiur. Today is called a very interesting line. The uh, Midrash, our Chazal, our rabbis, they teach us that this day, the time between Yom Kippur and Sukkot, it's called, and you will take for yourself on the first day. What does it mean by Yom Arishon? The first day for the reckoning, the counting of sins. Now we're talking about the holiday of Sukkot. That means the first day of Sukkot is the first day of the reckoning of sins. Yani, there's no, there's no sins in between Yom Kippur and Sukkot. So the question is, what does that mean? If you look it up in the words of Chazal itself, it says, where's the, how's the guy going to sin? He's putting up his sukkah, he's buying his ulav and etrog, he's preparing the food for the holiday. How does he have time to sin? You know what I want to say? I always, t- like, I feel sometimes the Chazal, I want to, like, have a meeting with them. You know, there was a TV show back in the day, before I was even born. It was called Leave It to Beaver. You, you, you don't think I have time to sin between Yom Kippur and Sukkot? Leave it to Beaver, okay? I'll sort it out. What, because I have to get to Lulav, I have to get put up to Sukkah. I have plenty of time to surf on Instagram and, and you know, and uh, do all sorts of terrible things. I have plenty of time, Rabotai, to be dishonest in business when I go to work in between those two days. I have plenty of time to scream at my wife and children when they hand me the wrong piece of wood, you know what I mean, to put up the sukkah. I have plenty of time to husho the, what's it called, from the lulav and etrog guy, the extra little pieces to put the lulav together, because I'm saying anyway he ripped me off on the etrog. There's plenty of sins that anyone could come up with in these days. Easy, easy, right, and easy to sin. Not only that, by the way, we're all familiar that it doesn't even take time or effort to sin. You could sin effortless, effortlessly. You could sin while you're thinking. You could be jealous of your neighbor's sukkah, and if it's not from the right place, right? Already, you, while you're building the sukkah, you could be sinning. So what does it mean, Rishon the Cheshbon Avonot? What does that mean? <clears throat> Rabotai, I want to share with you something which I think is a very powerful question, and the answer to that question, I think, in many ways, helps us understand what our Chachamim are communicating to us here with this idea. And the answer is very powerful. You know, always, if a person wants to know who they are or where they're going, it's crucial for them to be able to understand where they've been. One more time. If you want to understand where you're going or who you are at the present moment, if you want to understand your present or your future, you have to understand your past. So as an example, let's say someone sees that they're interacting with someone and they're not being nice to them. They're sitting there, they're like, what? I can't believe this. How do I act that way? How do I say such things? How do I think that way? Can't believe it. Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't make sense if you don't, if you forget that you're always a negative guy. But if you're always a negative guy, if you're always cynical, if that's who you always are, then your behavior in this context makes all the sense in the world. As an example, let's say you've been messed over at work where they kept promising you promotions, or someone promised you they were going to pay, or someone this or that, and you've been broke, you've had heartbroken 
uh, uh, interactions in the world of business. The next time someone comes to you and they want to borrow money, they want to make an investment, they want to do this, they're asking you, please, trust me, rely on me. What do you say? You tell the guy, go jump off a cliff. Meanwhile, it has nothing to do with this person, and it's all about what you've experienced before. People in relationships that won't open themselves up. Why? Because they've been hurt in the past. So the person who's in this situation actually doesn't make sense. You can't understand them. You can't fully comprehend why they are the way they are without looking back. So Rabotai, if we're trying to understand these four days and really the mindset of a person in a post-change environment, it's crucial to understand the moments of change and those dynamics. So I want to take us back just for one second about 12 or about, uh, let's say, sorry, not 12, maybe 15 hours. 15 hours ago, 14 hours ago, we were standing right before Ne'ilah. And before Ne'ilah, there's a very interesting uh, uh, concept that people like to speak about. Ne'ilah, everybody knows, means the closing of the gates, right? But that imagery, the closing of the gates, El closing of the gates, Everyone thinks of the closing of the gates. Does, everyone, does anyone ever think, I'm running to get in these gates. I'm going to sneak in the last minute. Not only am I going to run in, I can't even get in like that. And it's going to be like, I'm going to go sideways. Or I'm going to go like the movies. I go into that long slide and the gate's closing. And I just scooch under, right? right? Never in the movies does the gate shut on the guy's neck and he eyes day. Right? He always manages to scooch through. So Neila, we're always scooching through at the bottom. Ellis, I made it. You get up, you open, you open your eyes, you see where you are. Where, where do we try and sneak into? The gates were to what? The, the Sefarim write that the process of Neila is not just locking, going through the gates before they lock, but you're getting into the king brought me into his room. The king brought me into his chamber. We're trying to sneak through the gates to God, to be in Hashem's mechitza, to be with him. And in his presence, all the sins, they melt as if in front of the sun. Rabotai. So that concept, the ni'ilah, the chachamim used to say, was a process of locking yourself in with God. That's the idea of ni'ilah. The chidushi harim asks an amazing question. He says, look, Arbit comes along, and at the end of Arbit, right now, you just finished Ne'ilah. In fact, I don't know if you ever noticed, there is no prayer faster than Arbit after Ne'ilah in a synagogue. If you're in a yeshiva, there's no prayer that feels longer than Arbit after Ne'ilah. But in most regular shuls, you know why? Because they're trying to keep the, the people. They don't want them to leave because the shofar blew. Right? I always said if they blew the shofar after Arbit, they would have 100% attendance. Okay, but they don't. We blow the shofar at the end of the ilah. People go. So the guy gets up there. Right? That's how fast our beat is. We prayed so fast, and then we get to the amidah and we say, "Selach lanu." Ask the chidushe harim the question that I asked you, but actually here it makes sense. Who had time to sin? In the what does it take him? Two minutes? Since Neila, so one minute ago you're like, Amen! Right? Two minutes later, you sinned? Why are you saying Salah Lanu? By four days later, I have a thousand sins. Okay, good question. But two minutes? And you're in shul. 
and you're not allowed to even speak. Rabbi Uttai, listen to this. Such a powerful idea that Chidushi Harim writes. He says, you know what sin we might be guilty of? Part of the idea of Yom HaKippurim is the Pasuk says, V'nislach l'chol adat v'nei Yisrael l'chol ha'am, right? V'shgaga, that's what we say. We say, Ki bayom hazeyech hapeh Hashem alechem l'tahir etchem mikoch atotechem l'fnei adunai titaru. We say that God will cleanse our sins. God will give us teshuvah. God will purify us. We will be as if we were a brand new, newborn baby. The sin of selachna is maybe you didn't believe God. Maybe you left Ne'ilah and you didn't feel like you got teshuvah. Maybe you left Ne'ilah and you said, ah, that didn't work. I didn't, I didn't make teshuvah enough. I'm not really going to change. I have all these plans. I'm a dreamer, but I didn't really change. That feeling, that thought is against a pasuk, many pasukim in the Torah, where the pasuk says that God will forgive you. You believe God didn't forgive you? Asur. Salah lanu. That's what the Chidush Harim says. Boom! It's a very dangerous sin. More dangerous than most sins is to believe that I am not capable of the redemption of the Teshuvah of Yom Kippur. Salah lanu. Hashem, please forgive me. You're right. I am forgiven. There was a man who once came to Nintivot Shalom, the Nesivis Shalom, from Slonim Rebbe. And he said to him, he's crying to the rabbi, and he says, Rabbi, you know, every year I come here, Rosh Hashanah Kippur, I pray to change, I dream about how my life is going to be, I imagine all the classes, I think of all the mitzvot I'm going to do, and you know what, I'm nervous, I'm, I'm scared. He says, what are you scared of? He's scared, Rabbi, every year is the same thing. I'm scared I'm going to die, and on my kever and on my grave it's going to say, Here lies Ponit man, Ba'ala She'ifot. Here lies the man who had dreams. Here lies the dreamer. And I'm never going to get there. That's what it's going to say on my grave. The slunder Rebbe took the man, gave him a hug, and he says, If I was walking past the Beta Kivarot, if I was walking past the cemetery and I saw a grave that said, Here lies a dreamer, I would stop to say Tehillim at the grave of a Sadiq. Because dreams are also a beautiful thing to have. How do we go somewhere without a dream? How do we go somewhere without a goal? How do we go somewhere without some form uh, of direction? The dreams of Ne'ilah, aside from the concept of getting in through the gates, it's about locking yourself in with Hashem. At the end of the holiday, we read the Pasuk, it says, Lech echol b'simcha, go out and eat with joy at lachmecha. Go eat your bread, go eat your thing. Why ki Because Hashem has already given you, He's already accepted your prayers. Go now, enjoy, have a great time. Fantastic. Our rabbis tell us the Sefer Be'erot HaMaim and others say this as well. The Pittsburgh Rebbe is an example of this idea, the answer. He once visited the yeshiva in Lakewood and one of the Rosh yeshivas said, come, I want to show you the boys. Let me take you to the Beit Midrash. Anyone who's ever been to the Lakewood Beit Midrash will know, boom. It's like a rock, it's like a rock stars. It's like a stadium filled with superstars. Everyone's sitting there studying the whole day. So he says, let me show you the boys. Come, I'm going to show you all the Bacharim learning in the Beit Midrash. Let me show you the quality boys that we have in Lakewood. He says, you want to show me the quality of the boys? Don't take me to the Bet Midrash. Take me to the dining room. 
The fact that you learned in the Beit Midrash, Hazaku Baruch, the holiest place, okay. Did you manage to take that elevated spiritual status with you to where you eat? Or you're shoving the guy so you get the food faster? How fast? My, the, my rabbi always used to say, I repeat this all the time, you can tell a person's Yirat Shamayim by how he makes a Biracha after he breaks his fast. Baruch Ata Amunai. Extra second that shows the person has Yirat Shamayim. So the question of Ni'ilah is not just what we did, but what did we lock in? There was a fascinating this, um, uh, uh, chidush brought by Rav Moshe Chevroni. Rav Moshe Chevroni once was sitting and he says, you know, we say in the prayers, Hashem, you remembered Rachel and you gave her children. You remembered, what did you remember? You remember that she gave the simanim. That when she got married and Lavan pulled the old switcheroo, right? Leah was going to be embarrassed. Rachel said, here's the signs that Yaakov and I agreed upon, and this is how he'll know that you're actually me. So, Esra of Moshe Chevroni, I don't understand. I don't understand. Hashem, Elokim et Rachel. What did he remember? He remembered that she gave the Simanim. She gave the Simanim years ago. Now you're remembering her? Why didn't Hashem, at the time that she gave the Simanim, right then, that's when he should have remembered it. She got married seven days later, Rabotai. It didn't need a long memory. Hashem could have put that, you know, with Siri. Siri, remember, uh, you know, what's it called? Uh, Rachel's mitzvot. He could have easily had a reminder in his phone. The Hashem phone. Anochi Hashem elokecha, it's the only true iPhone. Either way, point is, Rabotai, hear me here, hear me. Says Rav Moshe Chevroni, HaKadosh Baruch Hu was not impressed that Rachel gave up her simanim. You know Why? Because each and every one of us have beautiful moments of grandeur, of splendor, where we act in what's called an outsized way. We're much better than ourselves. And that's great, amazing. But that's not really what's worthwhile. Hashem sees Rachel do something extraordinary. But then, years later, when it comes time, and Le'a's already had four kids, and she comes home with the Dudaim, which are able to help someone with fertility, and Rachel says, can I have those flowers? Clearly you don't have an issue with fertility. Can I have the flowers? And Le'a's says, et ishi. is it not enough that you took my husband? You want the flowers now too? What should Rachel have answered her? Your husband? Sorry, what did you say? Your husband? If not for me, you wouldn't even be here. The greatness of Rachel was revealed not when she did one great act, but later on in a random mundane conversation when she had a chance to bring it up. Let's see. Did you really give her the simanim with your heart? If you did, you gave it. You're not an Indian giver. You don't take it back by throwing it in their face. Now, now God remembered Rachel's great action because he saw that that which she got was not a momentary shining brightness, but rather something that she'd inculcated into herself. So ni'ilah means the gates are closing, but it also means where we're locking ourselves in with God, when we're locking in our gains. 
What have we locked in now from Kippur? If at the very least, we have locked in the fact that there was kapara rabotai, if at the very least, if at the very least we don't have to say selachna, right? Right after Kippur, because we believe that we're fresh, that alone is enough to ensure that in this period of time, when I'm busy, I have something to keep me busy, even if it doesn't keep me busy every second of the day, but something is propelling me forward in a positive motion, that is enough for me to ride all the way to Sukkot. Rishon l'cheshbon avonot. But Rabotai, without that positive growth, without the mitzvot that are keeping us busy, even with the greatest kapara, a person sinks. Why? I don't know if you were paying attention in the avodah, or maybe you didn't really understand the words. There's one moment where the Kohen, he's doing all the shechita, he collects the dam, the blood from the korban, he hands it to the Kohen, and what is the other Kohen's job? Anyone know? He sits there with a spoon, Yanni, and he's mixing. He's not mixing in two tablespoons of baking soda. He's not making, uh, you know, gluten-free brownies. What's he doing? He's just mixing the blood. He's doing nothing. Not adding anything. That's his job, just to mix the blood. Why? In order that it should not become congealed. The blood in that cup of that korban is no different than the blood that flows through our veins. If you're not mixing it, it gets hard. It gets congealed. If you're not moving forward, it just, you grow cold. And in a state of coldness, so to speak, then you're able and you're liable to be able to do anything in the world. When we're angry, when we're upset, when we feel disconnected. So long as we feel connected, and we're moving forward with mitzvot, that's enough, Rishon l'cheshbon avonot, that you now comes Sukkot, you're already sitting back, you don't have the busyness of the mitzvah, you got the mitzvah, I'm sitting in the sukkah, I have, I already ordered it, it came on Amazon Prime, my lulav and etrog is here, I always thought that, you know, imagine in Amazon Prime, you order a lulav, and then they fold it in half to give it to you in the smaller box. Either way, Rabotai, this is the situation, right, you have it here, it's by you, you're able to go, you're able to do the mitzvot, the minute you're relaxing, you already got, even though you think the opposite. Now, now, now that I'm doing the mitzvah, I'm not protected from sinning? How could that be? Now, the day of Sukkot, now, yes. Being busy with mitzvot is everything. Having something take up your focus. Having something take up your time. Because yes, the mitzvah is amazing when you lift it or when you're sitting in it. And that's very important. But the hechsher mitzvah, the busyness of acquiring the mitzvah, the busyness of taking your lulav and bringing it to 18 people to share, that will protect you. Sitting back and doing mitzvot is just like bright lights. And the bright lights, they don't last. It's the work, the heavy lifting, that allows a person to remain sin-free. Rishon l'cheshbon avonot. May God bless us, Rabotai, each and every one of us, to go through these days, to arrive at the holiday of Sukkot, full of simcha, ubalu siyon berina, be'ezat Hashem will be zocheh, to sit not just in this sukkah, but sukkat orosh elivyatan, with the coming of Mashiach, merah v'amenu, amen.